home, you may or may not have received something in the mail. I know the mail is a bit unreliable this year, but you may have received a letter here from Troy. Uh, I encourage you to, to grab that and have a good read. But with that letter, you would see there's a bunch of these other different things in there as well, and, and they sort of capture the way of life. Now, the way of life is something that we uh, poured into and looked at trying to sort of capture what are the rhythms of a, a follower of Jesus look like. Um, so you might want to jump into those, and that's where we're sort of pivoting today. We're continuing our Voices Rise Up theme, um, but we're kind of pivoting to have a look at this way of life and how that sort of fits with this justice-bringing uh, theme that we've been looking at in the Voices Rise Up. So you might want to see there's these little business cards. You might want to put them in your wallet. You have a look and a read of those. They're just prompts that help ask questions of our lives and, and the rhythms of our lives. Um, but we're going to go more into that a bit later. In this letter, it talks about vision night. Now, normally we would have a, a vision night on a Sunday evening in November uh, and people would come here to MFE and it would be really a, a nice evening to sort of look back over the time had and look forward uh, and, and sort of get uh, creative and, and strategize about what are we doing uh, next year. Uh, and so we're going to do a vision night. It's going to be on uh, Sunday, December the 6th, but it's going to be an online one, obviously, in this COVID season. So uh, in your letter, there's, there's some details about that, and you can keep your ear to the ground. It's going to be a, a, um, a Zoom um, after for about an hour with, with a bunch of different details. So anyway, have a read of the letter, um, jump on the, the weekly update, and you can find out some more information. Um, this, this way of life theme has four rhythms you'll find on the back, and there's four pictures here. I think my mum was the artist that put these together about 10 years ago. Um, but we're just going to pick out two of them today. We're going to pick out this one called Immerse, and I've got two of the big ones blown up behind me here. We've got Immerse and Rest, and we're going to just dive into those. And we've got two people that we've uh, asked to put something together to talk about what, what's immersing about and, and what's resting about, and uh, especially, like, is it easy, is it hard, and all those different dynamics. So um, why don't you take a little bit of a look. Phil's put something together, and so has Viv. Have a watch. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who I don't know, my name is Phil. And uh, for the past 12 years, uh, myself and my wife, Ali, uh, and our two primary school age kids, uh, Leah and Joel, have been coming here to NCR. Uh, during the week, I work in the sport and recreation industry, and I've been there for about 20 years now. Uh, over the more recent times, working through health and safety, uh, quality management and governance of community recreation. Over the past few years, uh, NCA has looked to outline uh, what a lifestyle modelled after Jesus uh, really looks like. And we call this our way of life. It consists of four behaviours that we seek to practice in the course of our everyday lives. Now this morning I've been asked to talk about the theme of immerse and what that looks like to me. The act of immersing yourself into a habit or an activity or a behaviour uh, well, over time, can start to impact you and shape who you are or how you live. Because immersion often involves doing something regularly or in a large volume of time devoted to it. Now, over the years, I've heard of various ways that other people look to connect with Jesus and immerse themselves in Him. Some have set times of the day aside to read their Bible. Others, I know, like to pray with family or friends. Others like to listen to Christian talks or podcasts in the car. 
while others like getting out into nature, uh, away from all the noise and distractions, and spending time with God in the peace and quiet. When I try and visualize what uh, immersion looks like, well, two things jump to mind. Uh, from working with swimming pools for many years, uh, when someone jumps into a pool and dives down or they're swimming laps, the water covers them up from head to toe. You can still see the person and you know it's still them, but there is now something different about them. They are now immersed in the water. Now, have you ever tried to cook a barbecue and then someone grabs a sausage and they cover it in sauce? They immerse the sausage. It can often be hard to see the sausage as there's so much sauce on it. And that's where the dad joke comes from. Do you want some sausage with your sauce? Because you know you're still eating a sausage, but there's something different about it now. Over the many years that I've known about Jesus and from growing up in church, I've looked to immerse myself in getting to know him better and build a relationship with him. This has seen me look to immerse myself in various uh, Christian activities and disciplines. Now, to be honest, some of these have not worked as well as I had hoped, while others have become very much embedded uh, within who I am. A few years ago, I'd get up 30 minutes early before work and I would read a chapter of the Bible and look to understand what it meant and the context of it. Now, this only lasted about three months before this habit dropped off. And when it comes to praying, I've had some highs and I've had some lows. I'm a very heavy sleeper who falls asleep very quickly. As a teenager, I remember one night where I began praying, uh, but I quickly fell asleep. Uh, in the morning when I woke up, I remembered that my prayer had finished rather abruptly. So I simply just said, Amen, and then got up and got on with my day. Uh, in prayer right now, uh, each night as a family, we say short prayers with the kids when they go to bed. And Ali and I pray together each night before bed as well. Now, I've always loved Christian music, and I love the bands or the songs in particular that have a deep biblical message in it. I grew up listening to a band called Petra. And when I go for walks in the evening now, I often listen to their songs as they speak clearly about Jesus and I can connect with God and his creation around me. Now, while some of these are counter successes and others were terrible failures, uh, some habits I've actually managed to immerse myself into and I still continue to hold these as important. Now, attending church each week is a way of life for me and being deliberate about not just attending, but looking to participate where I can. The same is true when it comes to being in a small group. Since I was a teenager, I've been in or led a small group or a Bible study, and that interaction with others and looking at what God has to say has been deeply important and impacting on my life. At the start of this year, I met a new guy at our workplace, and through a mutual connection about sport, we got to know each other a little bit. A few weeks later, my brother informed me that this same guy was going to the church my brother went to. I mentioned my brother to my work colleague, Glenn, and we realized that we now had an additional connection. It wasn't until a few more weeks had passed that Glenn said to me, you know what, when I first met you, I thought you were a Christian. Now I wonder how could that be? We never discussed church or Christianity or anything like that at all. In the Bible, there's a passage that talks about putting on the armor of God. It talks about being prepared to live with truth faith, peace, among other things. You see, when someone puts on armour, you can still see the person and you know who they are, but there is something different about them. They've become fully immersed in it. 
the person wearing the armor can feel it on themselves, and over time, they become more in tune with it, while others can distinctly see the difference that the armor makes to the wearer. You see, I think looking to immerse yourself in a deep prayer life or a regular Bible reading pattern or listening to some catchy Christian tunes are all important. And I regularly think about how I can do more of these things consistently. But I do believe that by reading God's word, by joining a small group, uh, being involved in church, attending a Christian convention, whatever it might be, the impact of hearing and clinging to the message of Jesus through these, this is where we can become immersed in Jesus and build a closer relationship with him. Hi, NCR family. My name is Viv Stapleton, and I, during the week, am a school leader in a large school of 1,500 students. I'm also the mum of Sophie and Jasmine, who are twins and are grown up. I've been part of the NCR community since its early days, its very beginnings. And I had to laugh, actually, because I'm a person that doesn't really do rest well. Um, I thought it was just a little bit ironic that, uh, or inauthentic even, that I would be speaking about rest. I am a girl who loves lists. I have lists on my phone for all the different areas of my life and a good day is ticking off those things, but it's a way of managing all the things that, um, the balls in the air that I toss every day. The way that I do rest is to read books. So the book that profoundly challenged me is called Sensible Shoes. And, and the story of um, Sensible Shoes, a story about the spiritual journey, is written by Sharon Garlow-Brown. It's about a journey and four women on a, a journey of spiritual formation. And as I read, I saw how spiritual disciplines can impact your faith. Things like labyrinth prayer and contemplative prayer and others that I knew about, but I think this book opened the door to me seeing how they can impact a person's life. The author of the book, Sharon, she describes this about stories and their power to have an impact on our life. She says, stories are invitational. They encourage participation. Stories are also stealthy. They can stir, confront, comfort, inspire, and penetrate our hearts. We tend to let our defenses down when we read or hear stories. We open ourselves to being drawn into characters' lives, to inhabit their worlds, to journey with them. Good characters can become mirrors for seeing ourselves more clearly. Good stories can pursue us long after we've heard or read the last word. That really is what happened to me. And the part where she says we open ourselves to being drawn into characters' lives, I identified very strongly with one of the characters called Hannah. And Hannah works in a ministry situation like me, as I'm in my role at, at the school, I'm the captain coach of faith. And Hannah 
was extremely busy and had incorporated that busyness as, as a way of life as opposed to um, stopping and resting. And I saw in her the consequences of busyness, of not resting, and the implications then that that can have on your faith. For me, it was a wake-up call. Sadly, I think if someone had come alongside me and challenged aspects of my life or called me out on it, I'm not sure that I would have really been open to that. And I think this book had that disarming way of the spirit nudging me in the place that I needed it. So what difference has reading Sensible Shoes made to me? Well, each night, and I really did look forward to each chapter at the end of the day getting and being in a place where I could read and find out what was going to happen next. So it was a bit of a page turner. The difference for me is that it encouraged me, as I saw through the characters of the book, the way that you could see Jesus in your everyday over and above that, be in tune with the feelings and the thoughts that you have, the good and the bad, to embrace and what do they tell you and why are they triggering you in in response or thoughts and what does Jesus have to say about that? So I found it incredibly insightful and I began to ask those questions of myself and it brought quite a degree of revelation um, at a point in life where I really needed it. I think it also gave me an attentiveness to the spirit that I pray will continue. And I felt promptings by the spirit to follow up things with people and taken the courage to do that. And it's it's been usually appropriate. And the other thing is that I think it's given me the skill or upskilled me a bit more in discernment, just generally in my own life, being able to share that as I've discovered things into other people's life in my role in the school and at home. So that's Sensible Shoes. There's other books in the series and I'm really keen to read those in the, um, the school holiday break that's coming up and find out what happens next in the lives of the four women that the book focuses on. And I'm looking forward to what it might speak into my life as well and do a bit of resting along the way. So that's what rest is for me and the journey that I've been on to navigate rest when God has created and shaped me to be the person that I am and embrace that, but also in the busyness, be able to see him. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Viv, and thanks, Phil. I think we've got such great wisdom in our community. It's so good to hear from some of the different people and, and what they've been journeying with. And um, So thank you, Viv. Thank you, Phil. Immerse and rest, two important rhythms. Troy, we've got you here now. Um, I think one of the privileges that I get in, in working here at New Community is that I sometimes get to be a soundboard for Troy and, and conversations flow and, and I get to hear the inner workings of Troy's brain coming out sometimes and it's really uh, lovely. So I thought it'd be a really good idea if we sit you down uh, and have a conversation and, and unpack some of these themes and um, we're going to come to in a bit more depth these rest and immerse things but uh, over the last sort of four weeks we've been having different people from the life of our community come and share their passion um, especially for, for significant issues in our community and in our wider global sense. 
Uh, over those weeks, can you share with us what are some of the things that you've enjoyed? What, what have you enjoyed getting out of this Voices Rise Up sort of series? Yeah, well, firstly, I've really enjoyed the people who have been with us. Um, we have such a great cross-section of people at um, New Community here who are really passionate, gifted, talented, and to have uh, the likes of, of Peter and Jan and Susan, Carrie and Steve come and share, and, and, and others who have contributed um, has just been a really welcome reminder mm. because when we first began, we wanted to sort of set up a DNA that reflected our core values and some the theology, thinking about who God was, who Jesus is. And for me, it's been a great refresher. So even just two weeks ago, uh, when Susan was speaking, and I said to her, the, the pre-story for, for Susan was, Susan, I want you to come and share about this inequity of resource, uh, Christian resources distributed around the world. And if half of our people get challenged and they leave to go off and serve in other places, that is okay. Mm. Um, but I found myself, and Bron, the same as we were sitting and listening, we really felt challenged, a nudge of God's spirit to say, there is such inequity mm. in our resources. So there was just this internal nudge in us. What are you going to be doing later on in your lives, you know, in the seasons in the future? And uh, we, we call that a calling. Mm. And so we just felt this, this sort of nudge, this sense, we don't know where that will, will go, but just in the future what that might look like for us. So I've enjoyed yeah. personally being engaged in it. And can I say for anyone else out there who has felt the nudge of God, the, the Spirit um, speaking to them through this time, don't leave it there. Um, this old-fashioned word calling, mm. I think it's still really important for us to talk about, um, that if you sense a nudge of the Spirit of God sort of touching you on the shoulder, then go with it. Mm. Um, don't just put that aside. Tell someone. And, and once you've told someone, um, I love that keep open. I love that it's real for you, Troy. And we were sitting here chatting before, and um, I love that you were just like I said to you. So what? You're upping and, and moving to Southeast Asia next year, and you're like, oh, maybe not. But we're we're definitely thinking about what does future look like. I yeah. love that it's real for you. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the real part that struck a chord with us was that, right. We we are just we have supermarkets filled with Jesus resource stuff. Mm. And there's people in, in countries who don't have access to anything or one thing. Mm. And we just see that as a great inequity. Mm. Mm. Um, the other thing that I've really enjoyed about this is that it, it has stirred that, that DNA again for those who have joined us, just even in this COVID season, would probably be unaware how deeply rooted this idea of justice and mercy runs through new communities. So mm. it might look similar to other communities they've been involved in, mm. but deeply embedded. And I remember having a conversation with a, a guy called Gordon Wilde, um, mm. minister of a church. Uh, he was a church resource person, worked alongside Tim Costello in at Collins Street um, some years ago. He sat with me and he said, look, when it comes to engagement and the different things you can be involved in around mercy and justice, he said, I want you to think about these three different areas. And, and I know um, Jen said to me when I talked about the swimming pool analogy is they're all interconnected and they are. But if I could just show you for mm. a moment on the screen, um, here it is here, the swimming pool. And uh, he said to me, look, when you think as a church community around uh, areas of mercy and justice, there's the short, there's the medium, and then there's the long term. I've tried to put them in swimming lanes. Nice. Uh, he says, if you work in the short term area, that's often to do with crisis. Mm. And your response will be deployment of resources. Mm. So if you work in the midterm stream, so if you're a swimmer here, you're, you're in the, the medium lane, 
the, the, the moderate lane, you're not the speedster or the slowster. Um, this has got, often got to do with empowering people mm. and so that they can take um, responsibility and ownership for um, mm. their own sense of direction and uh, um, it's got to do with equipping people towards mm. that. And the, the final lane is the long-term lane and yep. this is about change and often what is essential about this change is advocacy. Mm. So you've heard the adage... Uh, give someone a fish, but teach them to fish and mm. they can fish for a lifetime. Mm. Or the third one would be uh, change the pond they're fishing in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you've got short term, medium term, long term. Have you got some practical examples of, of what that might look like, even in things that we've done maybe? Yeah, well, as we began to think about that and say, okay, it's good when you take on a project to know is this in the short, medium or long term. They're all interrelated with each other. Mm. Uh, but let's take some of our early projects in East Timor. We mm. heard that there were uh, kids who were eating bark. Um, they, they, they were malnourished mm. and they'd go to school hungry. Mm. And if they went to school hungry, they, they couldn't learn because mm. just their, their brains weren't um, stimulated. So uh, there was a natural plant organic there, uh, rich in protein called morungi. And we helped seed through some funding uh, the Morongi project. And mm. that was just in one school and they would grind up this plant. They mm. would, uh, the ladies in, in the area would then mix it with their sort of like a porridge soup mm. and they would feed kids at mm. the beginning of the day. The, so they'd start with a meal at the beginning mm. of their school day. Yeah. Um, well, that project, uh, a pilot project, um, had such good impact mm. that there was a whole kind of industry then set up where mm. there's a number of different um, people who were making this for uh, multiple schools. And to go over there and see mm. that from this seeding project, what was a short-term thing, yep. you can see it moving into the midstream yep. and this empowerment side. Okay. And all we did was help initiate it. It was a yep. good idea. We saw that happening with the schools. Someone said, look, there's these shells now because the Indonesian soldiers had left. There was just these shells of schools, nothing in them. They need chairs and desks. Mm. So we purchased chairs and desks over there for them and they were sent to the schools. But then it became apparent uh, that when we talked to those people who were into the long-term sort Mm -hmm. of lane, they said, look, the way you lift cultures, societies, nations out of poverty Mm. is often through education. Mm. And so that sort of lent us then. We, we partnered with the Rural Schools Development Fund and through um, Kirsty Guzmau and there were schools that were built. Mm. And uh, through that then we didn't just help schools being built um, through our projects that we have, our mm. Christmas appeal, but also make sure they had teachers mm. um, in those schools to teach the kids. Mm. And probably one of the, the ones I really uh, you know, think back on and really, if you can be you know, proud about this thing, it was the, um, the oil so coming back and having connections mm. with East Timor and realising there's this great inequity when it comes to where you're going to do the demarcation about the sea boundaries. Yes. And it just so happened that Australia had kind of done this wonky yeah. line that kind of kept the sea boundary and the oil, the major uh, oil deposits, on their side. And uh, it, was, it was just... Um, a terrible inequity. Absolutely. I remember that, like, uh, years ago, that we ran, like, an art exhibition and, yep. and my mum who did these ones um, was part of that and other artists came in and, and we got pollies along yeah. uh, and that was, that was really good because yep. it was kind of actually trying to name this yep. broader issue. Yeah. And good. that was just our small way of going, if we're going to swim in this, this lane, the long term lane, it's a slow burn, it's more people being involved and it's got to do with changing the pond that you're fishing mm. in. And mm. so, you know, it's lovely uh, to think that even just our little small part that we played mm. in, in that, that they've renegotiated that. Mm. And even though we'd still say it's still um, 
you know, not moved an in equitable. It moved, <laughs> the, the line dropped a little bit. There was more oil that went towards the East Timor side because that that's, secures their long-term future. Mm. And so um, when I think about that then in, in short-term, oh, sorry, local projects here, mm. um, you think about the Heal Clinic. Mm. Well, well, that helped um, create a place for social engagement for the people that we've been serving in Croydon, mm. at the people have been cooking meals. So we've been the feed, feeding them in that short-term lane, and yeah. we're going. Actually, these people need some more opportunities for social engagement, and interaction, boundaries and so around them, and, and swim in the other community. lane as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so that's why I get excited about the Lau project, is because that's in the medium and the long-term lanes. Yeah, we've got more about that coming up at Christmas yeah. time. Yeah, it's good, and and I like the swimming lane thinking because it, it doesn't devalue that short-term one. It's not like it's a hierarchy. Yeah, um, it still gives value for. For doing some of those things, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's really good. Um, this justice thread of of being justice bringers has been part of our DNA here at New Community since before I was here, since probably when it began. Yeah, um, and that's probably because it's a real passion of yours yeah. for for the life of the church um, in our broader community. Um, how? Why is this such a passion for you? How did it get personal for for you? Yeah, two reasons. The first one is that. Uh, Wired into our family is the Robertson side, which has always got to do with justice and justice issues. So I remember as a grade four kid being in primary school and our primary teacher at the time, Mr Gregory, um, he let the girls to go out and play in between some of our classes. It wasn't recess, it wasn't lunchtime. And I remember saying, hey, well, can we go out? We've finished our work. And he said no to us. And I remember just feeling this, this, this heat, this warm heat coming in me and saying, why not? And I remember saying that to him. Why not? It's just not fair. And, and he, you'll hate this response. It's such a lame response. It's probably a scary response. But he said, I just can't say no to the girls. And so that's why the girls can go out and play and you boys can't. And I just remember feeling like that is just <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's wired into me. And the second reason and, and the bigger reason is that when I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church, but in the 70s and the 80s, there was this split in, uh, across church denominations and it fell along the lines of those people who were more inclined to be influenced by some scholarship that had come out of Europe and that really undermined the value of the Bible, mm. even Jesus, the integrity mm. of who he was, and that kind of reduced him to just being more of a human, mm. just a good, well-meaning human mm. being. And so the, the resurrection was called into question. The cross had to do with him just being more symbolic. That nice guy Jesus. Nice thing. guy Jesus. Yeah. And, and really Jesus was into things of being just and fair and kind. And the, the cross was reduced to um, a, a metaphor that had to do with sacrifice, a sacrificial self-giving. That was the importance of the cross. Now, so, so that arm, which I'd say had colluded with the ideology of the Enlightenment that said the only thing that is factual and is true um, has to fall into this methodology of science and a repeatable controlled experiment in mm. a test tube, mm. which narrows so much of life down mm. to a, a very thin margin of things that you mm. can put into that test tube. And so because Jesus didn't fit into it, he was reduced to a man and that's it. Mm. And so really the, the role then of the church in their eyes was to um, act for mercy and justice in this world because it was really about this world. Mm. I, I don't negate that, but mm. it was only, in my mind, half of the measure. It was a, it was a narrow view yeah. almost. Yeah. And, and I love that you say that as somebody who's studied science. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. you, you're, you've gone through studied science and you can still go, no, 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 actually it's 
bigger than science. It's good. What's the other side? Well, the other side of the project there, so the other side of the church sort of pushed back, and this was just across all different denominations, all different sort of sectors of the Christian church, uh, was said, no, we want to communicate Jesus and it's about repentance and faith in him. Mm -hmm. You need to make a personal commitment. There's an inner transformation. The problem with, with that, and that, so there was a good side in that. Yeah. The problem with that, we didn't realise that we'd inherited um, ideology and thinking from the Greeks, from Plato, 4th century BC, mm. that split human beings into two parts. Mm. There was a body and there was a soul. Mm. And the, the project then for that side of the church was to rescue people from an eternal life apart from God. Mm. And so it was about saving souls. Mm. And so you had this really clunky conversations in the 80s and the 90s when you were talking about sending food to Africa. And people would ask, you know, what's the more important thing? Is it to get food in their bellies or is it to tell them about Jesus so they can get rescued for their life after? It seemed as though there was some part of the church that was wanting to um, save people here on earth and there were others who wanted to save people for eternity. Mm. And there was this sort of dichotomy, this split conversation that was just so clunky. Now, if you don't believe me in this, I mean, this drilled itself down to all factors. So I went to a religious school. It was an Anglican school. We had an Anglican chapter, uh, chaplain there who was fairly high up in the Anglican church. So I don't want to just pick on them, but mm. it's this my experience, my lived experience. Mm. And so um, that jettisoned all the mir miracles of Jesus because you scientifically can't prove them. So mm. I remember there was a parent-teacher interview in year nine. Mm -hmm. uh, my Norm folks Norma turned and up, Trevor come apparently. Yeah, yeah, Mum yeah. and Dad went, went to this parent-teacher interview and the, the chaplain was there and he said this to my parents. He said, now, Mr. and Mrs. Arnott, I believe we have a problem with Troy. And they said, oh, what's that? He said, he seems to believe that the miracles in the Bible actually happened. <laughs> and so they said, oh... This, uh, this is the Anglican chaplain. This is the Anglican chaplain. So that's, that's what, what we believe. And he goes, oh, well, I can see where he gets it from then. You know, this is what... And, and so you had this whole segments of the church that actually just jettisoned the idea, which for me as a young kid just went, if you've got a God who's distant, who can't act, who's impotent, what's the point in following him in the mm. first place? And so there was this, this real division, there was this real confusion... And so what I'd like to think that New Community has been around this past 20 years has been a project that's in one way is trying to... Uh, it's a reunification project. Mm. Bringing these two sides together again and saying mm. they should never have been split apart. And mm. the way forward with that has been talking about a kingdom ideology, a kingdom. Jesus came talking about bringing God's kingdom here on earth. Mm. And so this is where you'll get phrases coming from other people, and that I'll repeat, that, that matter matters to God. Mm. And so you've heard me talk in staff meetings about the resurrection becomes critical now mm. because it's not just one person doing a miraculous thing once in history. It's actually about renewing mm. all matter. Mm. And he was the first in the series of other people being renewed that one day heaven and earth, God's dimension where he dwells and our earthly dimension where we will be brought together again and we need to have a new kind of body fit for being in God's presence. Mm. How do the mortals dwell with the immortal? Mm. And, and so that's what we need. And so phrases like matter matters just are touch points that try and point at this bringing together of these two ideas. Mm. Um, the other one has got to do with God loves us as wholes, not just as souls. Mm. So in a Hebraic understanding, a soul is an embodied person, mm. an inner and an outer dimension, 
fully embodied, fully embedded. In fact, I don't try and split the two as a soul is a whole as a human. Mm. And whereas we've sort of imported some of this thinking from our past, we like to split the two. No, no, they actually be to be combined together. Yeah. And so early on, we had these posters that we had up, and I'm going to show you one of them now. Um, in fact, two of them. We said we had these big banners up called Love Mercy. These were big things when you walked in yeah, on a Sunday morning. Yeah, you walked in and people would just see them every week or this one, Seek Justice. And you can see the arms sort of being locked in together. And I love that slogan, partnering with God and transforming his world for good. Like that's it stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we thought that these sort of catchphrases were pointing at this idea of that God is bringing his kingdom, his life, his rule, his governance through us, renewed human beings into his world, mm. and that we're partnering in it. We're not trying to build it. Mm. We don't want to fall into that idea of that, that, that pride part where we can actually say, well, we're doing this mm. sort of external to God. No, actually, we're trying to join with him in what he's mm. going to do. So Habakkuk's idea that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. That's the picture of the future mm. in which God will dwell here on earth amongst human beings. Mm. So Revelation 21, Romans 8 become critical texts, Matthew 6. Mm. Um, it's this idea that you can combine these two ideas. We, we um, spent decades splitting them and pulling them apart. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, we, we've been exploring all of these big issues in our world, in our culture, um, when we look at the, the issues facing us today and the actual go deeper into the heart and the core and what's driving these things, what would you say is the, the primary issues you see at the core of, of yeah. especially here in Australia? Yeah, two things come to mind. The first one is radical consumerism. Mm-hmm. I'll jump back to that in a moment. But the second one has got to do with our relative ease. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about Australia, unless you've gone out of it and come back into it, just says, take it easy, don't take yourself too seriously, chill out, relax, no worries, mate, everything's mm. fine. Mm. Um, I feel this, I felt this most profoundly on the two trips, um, went to India, took a group of people from here, journeyed to northern India, spent three weeks in there, uh, a couple of years apart, about eight, ten years ago now. I remember flying into Melbourne Airport, Tullamarine, and just this feeling, this overwhelming feeling came over you that everything about from the from the banners as you're walking through the terminal to the music that's playing to the fresh air, just says, chill out, don't worry. And coming back from, <laughs> coming back from uh, India where there was just so much complexity, wealth and poverty, so, so much sort mm. of lack of resource but then overwhelming resource, just being so together, it was just like a, like a fishbowl where everyone's sort mm. of stuck in together, to see their relative ease. That, and it was just the message that came through. Mm. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's book in the, the Silver Chair where the kids are down in Underland and the, the, the witch is in her cave and she sidles up alongside her fireplace. She grabs her mandolin, she grabs her magic dust, she throws it in the flames and she begins to strum this little melody. There is no overland. Mm. Um, there is no Aslan, there is no sky, there is mm. no sun. And, and I had the phrase, all there is is here and now. Mm. And, and that seeps into us. So I, uh, I think we're still trying to find a language in the church for this, this new space that we're in, this radical consumerism, this relative ease, because it seeps in us and produce, shapes us mm. more than what we... So to cast a vision of God's kingdom here on earth mm. amongst all of the gods and goddesses of our land mm. that talk about relative ease is really tricky. Mm. 
Um, the second thing for me, if we jump back to mm. radical yeah, consumerism. What do, mean, what do you mean by radical consumerism? Well, at the heart of it, I think, is uh, idolatry. Wow. The, the, the big issue that we're facing in our culture, and we just haven't named it, is idolatry. Mm. Um, we like to think of idols. When I was in India, they have these 30, 40-foot effigies of these mm. fearsome gods, painted, colourful. They're out there in the fields. Mm. And I think of those little wooden carved <coughs> things. Carved things, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And in ancient times, that's what it was. Mm. Uh, so let's say you um, wanted to... Um, you worshipped, you had the gods of the sea... Mm -hmm. uh, the gods of the sky, you had gods of war. Mm. And, and what they were, um, were little replicas, images, representations of what humans thought those gods were like. And let's say you were going on a, um, a journey on a boat and you wanted to secure your passage, safe passage, over the water. Mm. You would offer some things to the, the god of the sea and enter into some kind of contractual arrangement with this God. You would do something so you would get something in return, mm. safe passage. And uh, same would work for the gods of the sky uh, or the gods of war. You would offer something to them. There's little replicas of what you thought the gods were like. Mm. Um, it's like and give and take. You give something. That, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. you entered in this kind of contractual relationship that wasn't to do with... Uh, relationship in terms of a self-giving mm. um, or obedience. It was in order to get something. So at the heart of it really was control. Mm. You wanted to control your destiny and so you entered into it. Problem though is, is when you started to worship those things and let's say take the Roman standard of the eagle, the mm -hmm. gods of war, is yep. that really that's just a representation of who you want to be. You want to be the powerful mm. usurping eagle. Mm. Um, even though that eagle doesn't have any gravitational power over you per se, because you value it, you actually ascribe value to it, and in so doing, you give it a form of power. And in turn, it exerts a power back over you. Mm. And, and it shapes you. Mm. We don't know that this is going on in our own radical consumer culture. So think for a moment, when's the last time you went shopping? COVID means that probably not, I've probably been to Bunnings. I've been okay. to Bunnings well, now that it's Bunnings. open you, up. You take Bunnings, <laughs> you're walking down the aisles and I'm going to take, I'm going for a walk in Eastland. Yep. And in Eastland, I'm, uh, I'm getting there to get some food, nothing mm. else, but then I walk past a clothing store and I see this suit mm. in, in, the, in, in the front of shop and some shoes. Mm. And so I walk into there and I just think, well, why not? I'll just try on this suit. So I try on this suit and I put on the shoes and I go, hmm, feels nice, feels comfortable. This suit is an inanimate object. It's not real. It's not alive. It's not exerting no gravitational pull on me whatsoever until I look in the mirror mm. and I go, man, I'm looking a little bit, you know, or you start to think, you know, I, what I could do with this thing. Yes, that, uh, that um, improved drop saw or so, something like that. If, if I only had that, then my, uh, I'd be more productive. Productive, be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would that be? And yeah. so that's what you do. You go ahead and you look at those things and then you give it a value. Mm. And in turn, it exerts a force back on you. And then you have the shop assistant go, wow, those shoes are looking really nice. How does it feel in that? Maybe if we could pull in the jacket a little bit. I mean, and then you start to picture yourself, you know, you're there at the party, you're there at the, you know, the Christmas function or whatever it is, and you're thinking, I, I think, I, think I, I feel more alive in this jacket, mm. you know. Now, I have this habit of saying, okay, anything I try on, I'm going to go for a walk, never, mm. never buy at the time, maybe a day or two later. But as you walk around the shopping centre then, there's this little thought in your head, oh, I could see myself in that. Yeah, that's life-giving. That's, and, and what I suggest is happening to you in that space is this little representation of, of what idol worship really is about, which is not just securing 
your own control, but securing your own life, if you like. Mm. And, and so what you start to do is attribute value to it. Mm. And in turn, it places a force back on you. Mm. So it's not really about little carved things or big ornate objects. It's more about just takes on a what different we're shape. attributing value to and, and how that shapes us. Now, this is the trick. Once you start to do that, once you or cultures or nations start to do that, mm. it starts to shape you back in its own image. Mm. So if you worship money, if money is your end game in life, then what you start to do is you start to rank other people according to their numerical worth and value. Mm. If status is important to you, so you know on your Insta account, I've got a friend of mine who has uh, an Insta account and he's got this blue tick on mm. it. My, Jake said the other day, he said, oh man, he's got a blue tick. I said, what's that? He goes, that means that he's, what is it? It's like a verified thing. So it means that he's, he's important enough that somebody might want to fake being him. So they'll say, no, 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 right. this is the real you. Right, so he's the verified, rarefied person, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you go, wow, I've got this status now. Yeah. And so you rank other people. Or, or if it's about your, your sexual prowess, you know, how attractive you are. Mm. We, we start to very quickly rank. And when we rank, it's only a little step mm. to say the people at the top are the important ones. Mm. And we could actually exploit or don't take care of or value as much the people at the bottom. So it's this link between idolatry or, or worshipping things or attributing values to then creating a rank to then potentially exploitation. Exploitation down the road. And if people don't believe me in this, I, I see this when you read the prophets, there seems to be this link between uh, idols mm. and exploitation of Let, people. Let's go there. We need to keep let's moving. Okay. So let's have, a, let's have a little bit of a look at this. So what we've got here is this is a passage from the book of Isaiah. And, and uh, God's speaking to Isaiah, who's speaking to the people and saying, I'm getting tired of all of your acts of worship because for this reason. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Why, is it? Why are your hands full of blood? It goes on and says this. Wash your hands, make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong, learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And you go, okay, all right. So there's some things they're doing wrong according to mm. other people. But then just a little bit later in that chapter, it, it says this. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. Okay, so what are these sacred oaks and gardens? It's the places where they're going to offer up sacrifices to uh, foreign gods. Mm. And he says so explicitly in the very next passage. In chapter 2 it says, Their land is full of idols. They bow down to their work of their hands. They do what their fingers have made. So you get mm. in this... I just find it really interesting and curious and look out for it when you're reading them. There seems to be this correlation between idolatry and exploitation. It mm. goes on to say you push people off the land because you're acquiring it all for mm. yourself. Mm. And so the people who have power and those who don't, the ones who don't often exploited by those who do. And there's a correlation mm. between that which we value and worship our idols mm. and the way in which we treat other people. Mm. Which comes back to what the question I asked, which is the core of the problem facing us in our society today and, yep. and, and these bigger, broader issues. They're, yep. they're, there's so many nuances to it, but at the core there's this sense of ranking and 
and idolatry. Yeah. We saw some of our idols being played out in COVID space when they had to deem what was essential services. And it just so happens that AFL football is an essential mm. service that we spend millions of dollars on to transport yes. whole families uh, up to, to Queensland so that we could have our essential and, and service. the horse race that nearly happened. A thousand people <laughs> and you can only have ten at a funeral. It infuriates me that yes. that's the case because you can see these are our idols that we worship. Yeah. Um, practically, let's let's plug this in yep. for us. Um, how does this stuff connect with the way of life? Yeah. So what you do shapes you. And if there was one more passage I could show you, it would be this one here. Is that the beginning of the Ten Commandments? God mm. says, "You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image." And some people reading this would go, "Oh, that God's really into himself. He mm. he needs to be worshipped." No, 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 no. He understands that what we worship shapes us. Mm. And if you worship anything less than the living God, you'll be shaped in its image and that will lead eventually to exploitation of other people. Mm. But if you worship that which is purely of love and faithfulness and Mm. life-giving and God, when you worship that is other than yourself, when you worship the living God, who is filled with righteousness, mercy and justice, faithfulness to a a thousand generations, then you will be shaped in that image. Mm. And so in turn, when you worship the living God, mm. he will worship, uh, you will be shaped and think in his mm. image. So let's Which take comes to this, immerse. doesn't it? This immerse yeah. part of the way of life. So in our way of life, um, there's a passage in Acts chapter 19 that talks about Jesus' followers being people of the way. So mm. 11 years ago, we asked, well, what is that way? Mm. And if there were four themes that could be um, employed yep. to talk about or construct a way of life that would reflect Jesus... Four simple images, we came up with four. Immerse, act, share, and rest. So the mm. two today we're looking at is immerse, immerse and rest. And rest, right. So in my mind, immerse has got to do with proximity. Mm. Immerse has got to do with the idea of me drawing close to the fire when my hands are cold and getting warmed mm. up by the, the, mm. the, the flames of the fire. In the same way, when you draw close to God, he mm. begins to warm you and shape you in his image. Um, so for me, what that has looked yeah, practically. What does that over look like for years, you? Yeah. Well, as a kid, someone tried to make me immerse. They didn't try to make me. They were very good intention, but I wasn't ready for it. And so they taught me things like how to read the Bible. Mm. But it was done under sort of this guilt thing and this sufferance thing, which they didn't put on me. But it's so easy how we can enter into contractual relationships with God and mm. be layered with guilt. And so until a time, my heart was changed. And I began to just set aside time to read. Mm. I'd, I'd read a book of the Bible. And if someone wants to start here today, you can start with Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. And I would just systematically wake up in the morning and just have a time where I'd mm. read. Mm. And, and I'd pray a simple prayer. God, would you speak to me? Mm. And it was during that time that God, I, I just sensed that God was speaking to me. Mm. Um, so for me, it also meant I, I like uh, worship music and uh, singing. So mm. I would drive to university in the car and I'd put this old thing called a cassette tape. Now, a cassette mm. tape, for those who don't know, is that it's got this tape, and it's got these two, and it's got this little kind of material that goes, back. I you put it in the car, <laughs> and, and um, I did not listen to Petra. Sorry, Phil, that was just, that was terrible. Um, and, and what I would do is that I would sing in the car. Yeah. So if you drove alongside me, I'd be singing this, and I'm tears mm. flowing in my eyes. And, and so that would be a way in which I would connect with God. Mm. So for me, immersing 
had to do with drawing close to God. And, and I like this word immerse that we use because it, it's really about surrounding yourself in that. And, and you have a saying that you say, I don't know what I ate three months ago, but I know that it nourished me. Yeah. And, and I really like that because it's not every time that we sit down and spend time with God does it, is it whiz-bang revelation. Yeah. Um, but it's about going, no, actually I'm going to immerse myself in this um, time with God where I'm open to what he might be saying and those sorts of things. Which is it's good. just creating that proximity. Yeah. And you know, for those who are listening this morning and go, where do I start with this? I mm. know I fall into dry patches mm. or it just becomes about this guilt thing and I go, I've got to change it up. So that's when I go for a walk, I'll, I'll go to the mountain, I'll set aside some time and just break it up. And, and the, the simple prayer that I pray um, is, God, would you show me who you are? Yeah. Because I believe that when you show me who you are, mm then things shift and change. It's not yeah. about having to... I was talking to someone the other day and he said, you know what, when I finally get to spending time with God, I usually at the end of it say, why don't I do this more? And yeah. I think that we've just got That's to make good. a shift in our head that it's not... Try and put aside all these contractual regulations and guilt-based things. It's coming to him because of who he is mm. and him being gracious enough to say, I'm glad that you're here. Um, but he renews us. Mm. And so that's what immerse really mm. at the heart of it is about. Let's talk about this rest one. What's that like for you? If immerse is about proximity, this is about pause. Mm. Because there is just, I don't know about you, but there is so much static in my life. Mm. So rest for me, um, and some people get this wrong, they think it's about sitting in a chair, being locked in it and doing mm. nothing for a day. It's far from that. Mm. But it's taking, um, uh, f- not taking for granted what Jen spoke about a few weeks ago. We have rhythms and patterns in life. The sun rises and the sun sets. The yep. moon comes up, the moons go down. The, the tides have patterns in and out. And so rest is about me finding a pattern in a routine that allows me to be replenished. And so what it is fundamentally for me is actually turning off my phone on one day of the week. It's a Friday. Usually it's a Friday. Um, not going to my computer. Mm. And it means I do something different. I break from the normal routines of life. Mm. And I, I, I flick a switch in my head that says it's not about productivity. Mm. Now, I might do things that replenish me then. I might go for a ride. I might go for a run. I might build something. I might dig something up in the garden. Mm -hmm. Or I might make a meal and have some people over that night. Mm. But for me, it's actually entering into a a space of pause Mm. where it's not about being productive in the same ways that I was before. Mm. And when I do that well... I make allowance for other interruptions during the day. Yeah. So when I'm digging or something, it's actually not about getting the job done. It's about entering into a different... And it's a mindset that says, God, I'm entering into this new pattern where I'm slowing down, mm. I'm rejuvenating, might go fishing. Yeah, yeah. And it's a replenishing time. Love it. Now, I know when I've done that bad, bad times are when I check my phone, I check my computer, and I'm into a you different cycle. yeah. Or it's about getting the job done. Yeah, yeah. And when it's about getting the job done, I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I've been productive in one way, but totally unproductive with rest. Mm-hmm. So if someone said to me, what does it mean for you to immerse and rest? I'd say, actually, immersion's got to do with making Jesus my reference point. Mm. And rest has got to do with me pausing and getting out of the static mm. and creating some space where I rejuvenate. Mm. Because it's, that's the only way we're going to sustain this way of life, yep. is if we do that. 
It's good. I, I appreciate it, Troy. And, and I reckon like, you wind him, this guy up and he just goes. It's, it's so good to, to have some time to just unpick your thoughts and, and your brain on this. So um, I appreciate it, Troy. And uh, um, I know we probably could keep going and keep going. But uh, I, I figure what we might do now is create a space. We're going to um, put a, a song on now. And it might be just a time for you to do like a personal audit. I think um, Carrie talked about that last week in terms of reflecting on oneself. Uh, it might be reflecting over the topics of the previous four weeks or maybe it's just looking at these, these two things, immerse and rest, and, and thinking what would it mean for me to rest more fully or, or maybe what would it mean for me to immerse uh, even for the first time or, or maybe immerse without the guilt or maybe I just need to revisit and audit how I'm doing that at the moment. So we're going to play a song. Might you just sit and ask the question, God, will you show me you, will you show me more? And you might reflect on these two things. It's, th- it's been good, Troy. Thank you. Thanks, how, man. how about we go to this song? Yeah.